The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we have a very special guest, Nina Simons. She's a social entrepreneur. She is president and co-founder of Bioneers, which is a national nonprofit organization. I'm going to let her talk about that. It's quite fascinating. Primarily, Bioneers works to um, identify pressing environmental and social challenges and to bring forward some solutions that will work globally. Um, Nina has done many things in her career, and previously she's been executive leader in executive leadership roles in organizations such as Seeds of Change and Oddwalla, and her path to where she is today has been quite fascinating. Nina, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Cheryl. Good to be here. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much for doing this with us. So today, tell us where you are. Well, I'm sitting in my little studio, which is a separate little building looking out over a beautiful New Mexico landscape on the edge of the National Forest outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Oh, how beautiful. That's such fantastic country. It is. I feel very lucky to live here. Oh, that's nice. Have you lived there a long time? I have, about 25 years. Wow. So I've said this to you before. You're a native, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I'm, I'm humbly still a visitor, but I am someone who really has a deep, deep love and, and uh, commitment to this place. Mm. So for some reason, it just feels like home to me more than any place I've ever been. So That's great. Yep. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in New York City in Manhattan. Wow. Yes, and never, never imagined in a million years that I would be doing work on behalf of the environment. <laughs> oh, really? Well, let's talk about that. You know, there's so many elements of your work I want to talk about. You're a real strong leader and proponent of women's leadership. Um, you have had your own roles even outside of pioneers and in leading large organizations um, and your uh, strategies that you've developed over the years on for different environmental programs are very well known to some parts of the world. Um, but let's start way at the beginning. So when you lived in New York and you were growing up and becoming a young adult and moving into, you know, where, what am I going to be in the world, where did you start out? Well, I actually started out, I had parents who were both artists, oh. and I started out really falling in love with theater because I believed that the world really needed to change and that the most important place we could start was in the landscape that lay between people's ears. Oh, wow. And, and also in their heart and the stories we carry inside ourselves. And uh, so 
so I really believed that theater was the best way to help people change. That's pretty cool. So did you do any theater yourself? Well, I did. I did theater in college and for several years afterwards. And I began to realize rapidly that the kind of theater I most cared about was perhaps the most difficult to earn a living at. <sighs> and so I, I became a little disillusioned with that dream. Sure. And, um, and eventually, actually not long after I moved from New York City to Santa Fe, New Mexico, I met the man who was to become my husband and partner. Mm-hmm. And uh, we began working together Almost immediately, he was then uh, a filmmaker finishing a film about the politics of cancer therapies. And I knew nothing about that, but uh, as I spent time at his place, I would realize that he was getting phone calls at all hours of the day and night from people around the world who had been diagnosed with cancer. Oh, my. And word had sort of gotten out on the grapevine that there was this journalist and filmmaker who was researching alternative therapies. And so people would call him, and it began to become very clear to me that there was a grave injustice in how difficult it was for people who have recently been diagnosed to learn about the various kinds of therapies that are out there. Hmm. And so I became really committed to helping him complete and then market that film, which we Uh, did actually with some really significant success. So was that before you started the Bioneers? It was. That was all the way back in 1987. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, w- the, the feature film came out, and we actually uh, screened it for members of Congress, which led to the founding of the Office of Technology Assessment, which really helped to um, assess and test alternative therapies. Mm-hmm. And it was screened on HBO and Cinemax and Bravo and, and around, the, around the world, actually. And uh, and then he, as a filmmaker, got a call to come visit a beautiful biodiversity garden that was being grown in southern New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I went with him to visit that garden. And uh, I walked through that garden. And remember, I grew up in New York City as a city kid, and I had not gardened a day in my life. Right. And I walked through this garden, and it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, Cheryl. It was... There were literally hundreds and hundreds of varieties growing in very close proximity. So it was a riot of color and texture. And the master gardener who had grown it suggested that we were welcome to taste things. So we started sampling things as we walked through this garden. And there were... Oh, it was amazing. There There were herbs I'd never heard of, like lemon licorice mint and chocolate basil. And uh, there were every kind of shape and color of tomato you can imagine. Uh-huh. And the scents were incredible. And as I neared the end of that garden, well, he introduced us to every plant. And he would introduce us by the common name and the Latin name. And then he would tell us how they were related to all the plants around them. And as I neared the end of that garden, I felt like the spirit of the natural world tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, you're working for me now. Wow. And that was what I did. <laughs> I was terrified. I felt moments. completely unequipped, but, yeah. but I really was moved. It was a very powerful experience. So soon after that, that really led to the founding of uh, the first 
organic seed company in the U.S., which was called Seeds of Change. Well, you know, this is interesting because I hear people who um, are doing really meaningful things in their lives often say, I know exactly the moment that things changed for me, Mm. and you just named one. I'm always curious, though, about what is it that keeps you paying attention to that moment? What is it that, you know, makes you say, this is amazing, I know I have to do something and then go beyond the knowing I have to do something to taking action? Well, that's a good question. It's sort of a separate chapter for me, that story. Um, So I I went on to co-found Bioneers with my husband, which really features practical and visionary solutions and strategies for all of our most pressing problems. And for many years I served that community and felt that that was my call, was to really serve getting those positive stories more widely known because I knew that it would leverage the pressure for change. Um, And then uh, I realized that I still didn't feel like I had a clear enough sense of what my own very personal assignment was. And so for several years I really went on a journey of discovery. I took a lot of workshops, I did a lot of reading, I did a lot of writing, and I did a lot of soul searching. Mm -hmm. And I really looked very deeply to see, my goal was to understand where my particular gifts and capacities and talents could meet up with a real need for reinvention in the world. And I knew that if I could find that meeting point, Mm -hmm. I would have found my own purpose. Right. And I feel like, you know, that's, that's been a whole other chapter that's emerged really largely in the last five or six years around using my own learning to help support the women and girls stepping further into leadership and the transformation of leadership of any gender um, for the 21st century. Right. So you see the needs um, in leadership today and in the future being very different from what we've had up to this point. Can you talk about what that is? Sure. Um, I think that we uh, have a largely inherited definition of leadership that's not serving us well. Um, When we began offering an intensive five-day workshop on women's leadership, we had women contacting us and saying, well, yes, I want to strengthen my own capacity and I want to work with a bunch of smart, juicy, engaged women, but I'm not sure about this leadership thing. Hmm. And so we began to explore it, and what we realized was, you know, we, we all have this um, inherited model that tends to involve um, working beyond your capacity. It tends to involve a model of self-sacrifice, and a certain amount of isolation, and a presumption of a certain kind of top-down, hierarchical um, model of leadership that many of the women I know have simply rejected Hmm. and really are not interested in pursuing. So that's where are the brain drains coming from in corporate America when women are exiting, huh? Well, I think it's one of the reasons. I mean, I think there are a lot of reasons, actually. I don't think that our workplaces are very human-friendly at this point. Um, but, but they're changing, and I think women are helping to change them. Mm. 
and you know so so we real i the other thing that i've realized in recent years Cheryl i'm actually working on a book about this now is that my work with pioneers you know producing a conference is not an art form that's generally very widely recognized mm-hmm. in this world um but we design pioneers to really be a kind of transformational experience mm-hmm. and and so what I've realized is that for 20 years, I have had the benefit of mentors of every age, of every race, of every, you know, of every uh, perspective and discipline who are extraordinary leaders. Um, and as a producer, I have had the benefit of learning from them and studying with them, whether they knew it or not. Right. And and so I've recently realized, well, that's a rather unique kind of catbird seat that I've had the privilege to occupy. And so I'm writing a book now that's really going to start out with a lot of edited pieces from Bioneers Conferences because when you scan the landscape of leadership across discipline and across generation, you can begin to see trends and begin to understand why and how we may be changing leadership. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So we're going to have more to talk about with Nina Simons when we come right back. From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexsaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. More and more business people recognize the importance of spirituality in their work. How do busy professionals discover what rings true for them? Embracing the journey with Karen Humphrey Salad explores what it means to be spiritually fulfilled in business and how to integrate spiritual direction into a career. Expert guests, authors, and inspiring speakers join Karen every week to discuss such issues as honesty, compassion, generosity, ethics, and integrity in the workplace. Take a positive step forward to greater life balance. Tune into Embracing the Journey with Karen Humphrey Salad, broadcasting every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. We're speaking today with Nina Simons, a social entrepreneur and the president and co-founder of Bioneers, a national nonprofit helping to find solutions to our most pressing environmental and social challenges. So, Nina, before we went to break, we were talking about leadership and how you've looked at the model of leadership evolving to where we are today. Um, I'm curious to know, given your connection and belief in the power of nature and the ecological systems that we live in, what lessons live in nature that we could apply to leadership? 
such a great question, Cheryl. Thank you for asking me that. Um, well, let's see. There are several things that I can offer. Um, you know, one of the uh, greatest sources that we look to within the Bioneers Network is a field that's growing very rapidly called biomimicry. Mm-hmm. And biomimicry was really a field that was named and developed by a woman named Janine Benyus. And it looks at how we can reinvent and redesign how human beings live on this planet by mimicking nature's, nature as a teacher and nature's systems. And, of course, nature has the benefit of 4 billion years of R&D, right? So <laughs> nature's failures are extinct, <laughs> right? So what we have is the successes right, to study from and how different it is when we shift our perspective from nature as a resource to nature as a teacher and mentor. And um, one of the things that I learned actually from her recently is that uh, our human civilization, when we have tended to need to adapt to change, what we have done is to use more fuel and more materials in order to adapt in some way. And that's not how nature makes adaptation. Nature uses information and design rather than fuel and materials. You know, so so if you think about it, I mean, imagine if we could mimic a hummingbird Hmm. that's capable of getting all of the fuel it needs uh, while pollinating the food for its next generations and on, you know, a couple of grams of nectar being able to cross the Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are extraordinary examples if we, if we look to nature for reinvention. And I think in terms of leadership, one of the big ways that I think about nature's teachings is has to do with the right and left hemispheres of our brains. Hmm. Um, you know, there, there are, uh, there's a lot of research in recent years about what each hemisphere of our brains do right. um, and how they contribute to our whole brain thinking. And what's become apparent to me is that part of our, the inheritance of our culture has been to overvalue left brain thinking and undervalue right brain thinking. Right. And left brain thinking, of course, is uh, analysis and procedural thinking, the kind of thinking that, of course, gets rewarded in our graduate schools and in much of our business models today. And right brain thinking is all about innovation and relationship. And uh, one of my favorite quotes on this is actually from the physicist and educator Fritjof Capra, who says, the shift that we must make as a species now to go from our current model to an eco-literate society, to understanding how to live in balance with the natural world, involves a shift from counting things to a shift to mapping relationships. Nice. And so I think, interestingly enough, many of our human capacities on the left brain side have been attributed to a, quote, masculine paradigm. Mm -hmm. 
and many of the right brain capacities have been attributed to the, quote, feminine. And I use those quotes advisedly because I think we all have all those capacities within us. Yes. yes. But because of the bias of our culture, that's contributed to a lopsided way of being in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting, you know, it's, it also um, fits the whole model of, uh, quote-unquote, being out there. So the extrovert tendency or the extroverted personality tends to be linked very much with the masculine behaviors, you know, the, the quote-unquote masculine behaviors. Mm-hmm. And so you have the, the quiet or the person who is uh, a bit more introverted who goes away and thinks before they make decisions, before they act, as also um, looking more like the feminine um, model, and and so I'm I I know that what we have done in our organizations and in our society is, you know, typically the people who yell the loudest or who entertain the best, um, you know, get their voice heard, and so you're saying that that's not necessarily the most useful for us, and I'm wondering, you know, how does that show up in leadership? I mean, sorry, in um, in nature. How does that show up in nature? Ah, well, I mean, I think it shows up in all kinds of examples of, of symbiosis, you know, um, and balance. I'm just trying to think about, let me see if I can come up with something that's a good example for you of that. Um, but, you know, the first thing that came to mind while I was listening to you, Cheryl, is what a remarkable example we have actually in the White House in the United mm. States at this moment. Mm. You know, I think in many ways one of the qualities of Barack Obama and his leadership that helped get him elected was actually his calm and yes. his reflective nature yes. and how good of a listener he is and what a striking contrast that was to the prior administration. That's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> and very well said. <laughs> Well, I've learned some diplomacy over the years. <laughs> well, you know, and, and so using Barack Obama as an example, um, you know, he is so intentional about his language and about, you know, the way he brings people in and brings different ideas in, and he is also willing to take a stand and take action. It seems like he's he's a nice blend of um, both hemispheres of the brain there, um, both the masculine and feminine capacities. And so... Well, and I think, I think that that's really the model of leadership for this time that we need to look towards. Mm-hmm. Um, not, that, not that he is a paragon of virtue by any means, but, right. but in that regard, I think that, you know, the, the finest leaders I know are inclusive and welcoming and relationally intelligent and really good listeners, and they're not afraid to take a stand and, and be strong and be decisive and, uh, and be, you know, the final decision maker uh, when it's needed. Right. Because actually, I mean, I'm not convinced that a leaderless revolution is what we're heading towards. I think, we, I think the new models of leadership actually have to be both and rather than, you know, either of those two uh, approaches. There's a, there's a beautiful idea called third possibility leadership that exactly embodies this. 
you know, and it, it sort of says that, it notes that with the first waves of the feminist movement, you saw a lot of people trying to do everything by consensus. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that that works. It doesn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> well said. Yeah. I mean, we can just say it. It doesn't work. <laughs> because you just, that, that is not, um, that, that's not a possibility unless you have completely unlimited time. That's you know? right. And you, yeah. Maybe, maybe eventually, you know, people can get to consensus on every issue, but you have to have um, the, the luxury of no timeline. Well, exactly, and I think, you know, another aspect of leadership that I am really focused on cultivating both in myself and in others is our capacity to reach across the differences that divide us. Mm-hmm. And this is another kind of lesson from nature, you know, that um, in nature there was a, a study done in uh, Nature magazine in the early 90s where they uh, studied two different ecosystems that were each recovering after a traumatic weather event. Hmm. And one of them had many more species in it than the other. And what they found was that uh, an ecosystem that's rich with diversity heals from trauma much, much faster than one that has far fewer species or a monoculture. Oh, really? Yes. Well, why is that? Why is that? Well, I think it's... I, that's a great question. I think it's because nature needs uh, the diversity of options in order to figure out how to repair best. Mm. I also think that, I mean, we're getting into some personal theories of mine here, but I, I actually believe that cross-pollination among cultures is part of what helps accelerate social change. And I think that's true whether you're in a business environment or a civil society or nonprofit or government environment, um, that, that cross-pollinating among diverse perspectives is actually what helps you shift your worldview. That makes a lot of sense, you know, when you think about um, having different points of view at the table or in nature um, and there is a crisis and there needs to be some creative solutions. If you have the more the more perspectives you have, the more opportunity to come up with something new and different. Right. Well, sense. and in the example, I can give you the example of, uh, for instance, the Irish potato famine mm. happened because there was only one kind of potato that was in cultivation in Ireland at that time. And in order to recover from the Irish potato famine, they actually had to go to the root source of potatoes in the world, which is in South America, and breed resistance to the blight back into the Irish potatoes using the genetic seed stocks that were their predecessors. Hmm. So, um, and I think, you know, I think that part of what, we have we face as a challenge actually as a as a species and as a civilization right now is that we actually are being uh, called by the earth to change our systems very quickly hmm. and I think we need all hands on deck to do that. you think we're up to it? Oh, I do. Yeah. I think we're amazingly ingenious. I just think we have to be rather seriously threatened in order to do it. <laughs> Jeez, you know, 
I agree, but why is that? (laughs) (laughs) Don't we wish it didn't have to be so? It didn't have to be that way. I know. Well, I want to talk more about this and some of your ideas about um, how women leaders change the world when we come right back. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The economy and financial markets continue to expand in both their size and complexity. But being able to anticipate changes in the markets for housing, jobs, and financial assets remains a crucial ingredient to our financial well-being. On the economy and the markets, with economist, investment strategist, portfolio manager, and host, Doug Cliggett, utilizes his 25 years of experience with that of his highly informed guests to provide clear, reasoned explanations of current events. To navigate the markets that influence our lives every day of the week, tune into The Economy and the Market with Doug Cliggett, broadcasting each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The economy and the markets. Clear thoughts in a complex world. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we're back. We're speaking with Nina Simons today, social entrepreneur and president of Bioneers. So, Nina, we've been talking a lot about leadership, and I know you believe strongly that in the blending of the masculine, feminine leadership models and, and energies. And I also know that you work um, very intentionally with groups of women around developing their own leadership in the world. Can you talk a bit about that and why you think women can change the world? Sure. Um, hmm, well, I think that there are a number of reasons, uh, not the least of which is that this may be the first opportunity that history has presented us with where so many of the social factors are actually on our side mm-hmm. and mitigate on our behalf. Um, and what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is that I think that we are receiving the benefit of uh, of a hundred years of of women's suffrage and probably you know thirty to fifty years of women's rights movements, right. at least in this country, mm-hmm. and and certainly in much of Europe, um, and that there is some very interesting evidence coming from the field of neuroscience about the brain differences between men and women. And one of the things that they're showing is that actually women have a stronger capacity to anticipate consequences. 
Hmm. Um, and and may even have a greater capacity for um, marrying the information of our right and left brains. We have a wider, uh, what's called a corpus callosum, which is the part that separates the right and left hemispheres of our brains. Hmm. And if you think about, you know, we spoke a little bit earlier about how important what I call relational intelligence is. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we live in a global uh, world and in a world that is utterly interconnected and interdependent. And that one of the most important skill sets and capacities that we need to cultivate as leaders is our capacity to create community and strengthen networks and alliances. And as women, I think perhaps because we have evolved to be mothers, mm-hmm. we have a set of both biological and cultural capacities mm-hmm. that I believe may actually advantage us for those particular kinds of skills. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm wondering about... Um, I think there are probably more, I don't know the, the, the statistics on this, but my belief is that there are more women today choosing not to have children um, and still contributing to the world in a big way. And so I'm wondering about that from an evolutionary perspective. And, you know, as you say, we have been, we were designed, you know, to procreate. We were designed to produce more human beings for the planet, and um, many more women are choosing not to do that. Do you think that there's something going on with the, um, you know, at that very, very core level of evolution where, you know, maybe the planet's saying, yeah, enough, you know, too much, you know? Well, I mean, I can can really speak best for myself because it's very hard for me to know what anyone else is deciding. Is co- you know, what's causing anyone else to make those decisions? Sure, yeah. But for me, Cheryl, I know that I chose not to become a biological mother. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that I have any less maternal instinct in me. Right. One of the things I've been noticing recently is that it seems important to recognize that women, whether we have children or not, are profoundly wired and, and oriented toward taking care of and nurturing and, and um, being the carriers of health and birth. And mm-hmm. um, so, so I don't know. I mean, I do know that there are too many people on the world, mm-hmm. certainly, you know, and I think that nature has all kinds of ways of um, ad- addressing that. Sure. But, you know, but I think... In a conceptual way, uh, this this might be a good moment to introduce this idea that I think we have been a part of a culture that for a long time has said um, you generally need to choose between black and white. Things are good or they're evil. They're either or they're or. And I actually think we are entering into a time of both and. Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I think that you can see that in the in the idea of leadership being reinvented as a combination in all of us, of the masculine and the feminine, and also in the fact that, you know, for many of us who have chosen not to have children, it means that I've had an uninterrupted professional career, mm-hmm. you know, that spanned my, my wor- adult working life. 
Right. And, and that's given me a level of capacity and experience that a woman my age who has had children wouldn't have. Right. She would have other experience and other gifts to contribute, you know. So, and I think um, that for my generation, I'm 52, and for my generation, I feel like we have had more permission to know that we could not have children and still be whole, fulfilled women. Right, right. Yeah, I I also chose not to have kids, and, um, you know, my husband and I chose that a long time ago, and it's interesting to have the experience of being in the world and um, see the contribution that that people make with or without children and to notice that, you know, the the questions that maybe we would have gotten 10, 15 years ago aren't being asked so much of, you know, so why didn't you do that? You know, yeah. don't you miss that? Isn't that something you wish you did? Yeah. It's not happening so much because I think um, that body of women, the results are showing themselves, you know, their their sense of accomplishment is there. And, um, and you know, I, as I look at nature teaching us, you know, nature makes choices, as you said early on in the show, um, and adapts to the need. And so that's why I took the question to, you know, is there something going on evolutionary here? You know, I don't know. Right. right. Yeah. So you had um, experience as serving as um, executive leadership in you were the president of Seeds of Change, mm-hmm. and you were director of strategic marketing for Odwalla, which yes. is a, everybody's favorite juice company. <laughs> <laughs> and um, tell us about that. When when was that, and, and what was that like for you? Well, uh, my experience with Seeds of Change was in the early 90s, and with Odwalla was in the mid-90s, and, um, and they were each very different. My experience as president of Seeds of Change was an incredibly exciting time for me. It really was the steepest learning curve of my life. It was also the first four or five years of our beginnings of Bioneers. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> and actually, I'm going to uh, gather up a thread from your last question, Cheryl, which was mm-hmm. that one of the reasons that I think women stepping into leadership has so much promise right now is because um, in my, based on my own experience, when we feel really passionately about something and really hear a call to respond, we don't necessarily wait for external authority to do it. Right. At least for me, what's been true is that I've, I've jumped in with both feet and I've trusted that it's okay for me to not know all the answers mm-hmm. and to not necessarily have a graduate degree telling me I can do it. But to simply say, I know that this is mine to do, and I'm going to do the best I know how and let the chips fall where they may. And I see that among a lot of the women leaders that I I really look to for inspiration is they don't wait for anybody to give them permission. Right. They do what they know needs to be done. And if we make mistakes, so be it. Mm -hmm. But it's better for us to step into the breach than not to be responding. So tell everybody what Seeds of Change is. Some people may not be familiar. Seeds of Change was the first uh, organic seed company that sold certified organic seeds because most of the organic seeds out there on the market were actually grown with chemicals. Mm-hmm. And it was a biodiversity seed company, so it was designed to help reintroduce diverse strains of 
kinds of foods into our food system by engaging with an army of backyard gardeners mm-hmm. in service to the earth, really. And it's still going strong today. Well, it is. It's under a completely different ownership, but it is still going strong, and they actually have food products as well now. So you really were at the, um, really the genesis of a lot of the belief of living a life that is in alignment with nature. Well, I don't know that I was in the genesis of it, but I've certainly had the opportunity to study from a lot of people who I consider brilliant at it. Mm, yeah. yeah. And, you know, part of what I think we're facing, Cheryl, is that we are facing environmental crises of unprecedented pro- proportions. And it's easy to get overwhelmed or depressed about that, but I see it as an extraordinary opportunity for rebirth and reinvention. You know, part of what we learn from nature is that in order for new things to be born, things have to die. And there are cycles of death and rebirth. It doesn't, you know, I think part of what's wrong with our our crazy culture is that it's predicated on a system of constant growth. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, the only thing that we know that, that grows continually is not so much a friend of human beings is cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so nature doesn't grow continually. Nature has seasons, right. and nature has ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's part of how we need to reinvent and reimagine and redesign everything we do on earth and that that's an extraordinary call to leadership on every level and really to every human being who's alive today to listen and find their particular niche in reinventing how we live on earth well there certainly is opportunity for reinvention i'm going to talk more about that the bottom line in business voice america business Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. The Bottom Line in Business, Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. We're speaking with Nina Simons this afternoon. Nina, we've been talking a lot about leadership and how the environment and um, nature gives us lots of clues as to how we can reinvent leadership. So let's 
continue on that thread, and let's talk about you. You said before we went to break that this is an unprecedented time um, regarding our the environmental crisis and the opportunity for reinvention. So, how does this relate to leadership? Well, here's part of how I see it, Cheryl. Is that uh, our whole definition of leadership, and in fact, what has informed the design of all of our social institutions has been a bias in favor of those human attributes that we've ascribed to the masculine. And I think that in the interest of reorienting ourselves, both inwardly in terms of our own leadership and outwardly in terms of our societal reinvention, what we need to do at this point is to lead from the feminine within us all. Mm-hmm. And part of how I think that that manifests is that in our conventional understanding of leaders, as you were saying earlier, leaders tend to be the most outspoken, the most aggressive, the most charismatic. They also tend to be um, conferred. So people who have graduate degrees, people who graduated at the top of their class, Mm -hmm. um, people who come from a privileged place in society often attain leadership. And what I'm seeing is that the people who I most admire, who are rising into leadership in a really innovative and inspired way, are doing it based on their connection with a sense of purpose. So it's inwardly sourced instead of externally sourced. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a really interesting idea to me that... um, in the in the perspective of those people who of of the Jungian branch of psychotherapy, um, Carl Jung, yeah, the feminine has been associated with the inner, mm-hmm. and so you know if you think about that again, we have a culture that's so driven and so oriented to external results, and has pays very little time or attention to. What do we get from inside ourselves? Right. And what is that inner knowing that actually we can all tap into? And it's probably the best source of guidance we could ever get. Well, you know, that really speaks to the issue. If if we are going to begin to rely on our inner nature, if we are going to look at leadership from the inside out, then we have to begin to really build self-esteem in people. Yes. We have to nurture that. So where, where does that, you know, where do you think the responsibility for that is? Well, I mean, I think the responsibility for it lies within each of us. Mm-hmm. And I think the opportunity, to me, is way too good to pass up. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when faced with the option of growing your own capacity to believe in yourself, to like yourself, and to actually monitor yourself in a caring way so that you don't burn out um, or not, why would you choose the other? You know? I mean, we just we have so many examples of leaders who work themselves to death, mm-hmm. who don't know how to listen to their inner monitor that says, no, you're exhausted, got to back off now, mm-hmm. or you're emotionally upset. You're not going to make the best decision right now. Mm-hmm. So I think we, we each have a capacity to actually engage 
with knowing ourselves better in terms of our inner world and our inner landscape. Um, one of the things that I've found in terms of my own leadership cultivation, I really believe that leadership is a lifelong pursuit mm-hmm. and that it's not something you attain and then you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I keep practicing it all the time, and I hope to keep getting better until the day I die. And, and what I find is that my leadership is directly um, bounded or related to the stories that I carry within myself. Mm. And I'm the only one who knows those stories. Mm-hmm. And only I can be responsible for knowing whether they're actually serving my best purposes or whether they're limiting me in a way that I might regret. Mm. And so I think developing the awareness to recognize the stories we carry within ourselves and to then determine are they self-limiting or are they self-enhancing? Mm. And not in an egoic way, but in a way that says, how do I develop myself as the best possible instrument to bring my gifts to the world? Mm. Well, you know, I, uh, boy, I love everything you're saying. I think it's just so right on. And, and I think about our corporations and our organizations, and not just corporations, nonprofits that, you know, run everybody ragged. Um, it, it exists in order to achieve the outward results. And the, so the system is designed for that. And so the individual who is doing as what you're saying, I believe, is pushing against a pretty big system. So what do you think it's going to take for the shift to happen, for that tipping point to occur so that um, this becomes more the norm? Well, I think it's already happening, Cheryl. I mean, I think, you know, from my read of the business sections and, and the blogs online, a lot of what I'm seeing is that in large corporations as well as in nonprofits, part of what's becoming more and more highly prized is leaders' capacity to hold a team together in a good way and to innovate and to recognize when a change in course is needed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are values that were not so highly prized even 10, 10 years ago. You know, it, it's very interesting to me because in Bioneers we have the opportunity to work with a lot of Native American and other indigenous allies from all over the world. And one of our board members is an extraordinary um, spiritual chief. He's, he's uh, from the Haudenosaunee or Iroquois Six Nations, mm-hmm. and he's a faith keeper named Orrin Lyons. And Orrin travels all over the world and meets with indigenous leaders all over the world as well as climate change scientists. And he came back from a recent gathering and he said the message that all of the indigenous world leaders had come to was a four-word message, which was value change for survival. Hmm. And so I think the tipping point is already happening. I think that the leaders like uh Barack Obama like you know certain of our corporate heads are beginning to really be awarded for being nimble for being good connectors for taking good care of their people and recognizing real talent and for encouraging innovation at every level of their organizations and simultaneously for realizing that actually we have to make our systems sustainable 
um, not only with respect to the natural world, but with respect to how we treat each other. Mm-hmm. So we have just a few minutes left. What do you do? Do you have practices that you do on a daily basis or on a regular basis to keep yourself grounded and in that mindset? Well, you know, largely I think it's a matter of being rigorous with... I I try to be rigorous with myself about taking even a few minutes every day. And you'd be amazed what one minute can do if you're really intentional. And checking in with myself about where I am and am I on track and is my to-do list now the same as it was three hours ago mm-hmm. or have the priorities shifted? Mm-hmm. Um, so there are lots of practices <laughs> and I'm working on writing them and, and, um, and really understanding how to best translate them to be more accessible for other people. But to a large extent, I try to practice things that are difficult I try to push my leading edge and not stay in my comfort zone all the time. And I try to ask for a lot of feedback, including difficult feedback. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. And my guess is you teach a lot of that in your women's leadership um, intensive, cultivating women's leadership. And um, I know people will probably want to know a whole lot more about that. This has been great having you here today. If people do want to know more, then how can they learn and reach you? Well, um, let's see. The best ways to find out about Bioneers, which actually hosts conferences all over the country in October, and we're likely to have a live webcast of it as well, is through www.bioneers.org. And and it's Bioneers, B-I-O-N-E-E-R-S. That's right. Thank you. And if people would like to know more about the Cultivating Women's Leadership work, about the workshops that we offer and to be on our mailing list, they should uh, send an inquiry to my colleague Felicia, who is F-E-L-I-C-I-A, at Bioneers.org. Great. Well, this has been delightful having you here, Nina, and I hope to uh, have you back again and we can talk more about some of the programs that you do and and some of the changes that you continue to see. You're right in the middle of all of it, and we are all better off because of it. Well, it's my honor and privilege, Cheryl, and I'm so happy to have visited with you. Wonderful. So remember, everybody, to think big because the world could be a better place because of a conversation Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.